Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. They realized they couldn't pull in the wool over Wall Street side. Welcome to episode four of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at the death of WeWork's IPO. In January of 2016, Adam Newman, the founder of WeWork, was at a startup conference in India. Dressed in traditional Indian garb, he was there to announce his plans to turn an old garment mill building in Bangalore into one of the first co-working spaces in India. Sitting alongside him was Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who Adam had insisted he needed to get FaceTime with as part of his speaking engagement. Adam, with striking features and long black wavy hair, was reminiscent of a surfer and towered over the crowd at six foot five. He spoke to business leaders and government figures who were collectively present to support the measures on making India a more attractive proposition for startups. But as Adam spoke, it was he that stole the show. For a very spiritual country, and I can definitely tell you this is the most spiritual country in the world, I'm surprised a little bit from the amount of talk I heard about valuation and raising money and bubbles and building big companies. That is not the goal. The goal is finding something that you truly love. Make sure it has intention behind it. Make sure it's going to make the world a better place. Among those in the crowd was 58-year-old Masayoshi-san, also known as Masa, the billionaire CEO of the Japan-based conglomerate SoftBank. SoftBank was in the process of launching a VC fund called Vision Fund later that year, and so Masa and Adam met briefly that evening to discuss this. Eleven months later, Masa would show up at WeWork's headquarters in Manhattan, with only 12 minutes to spare requesting for a full tour. Adam scrambled to show him as much as he could, but was unable to finish. So Masa asked him to join him for a conversation on his car ride to the next meeting. In the back, they sat together. A scene that to the outside world would have deemed an odd match, with Masa's soft, gentle round face and peppered gray hair bearing a serious demeanor next to Adam's chiseled boyish mannerisms with an air of youthful, unbridled intensity. Masa took out his iPad and outlined the terms of an agreement for an investment in WeWork, where he drew two signature lines, signed it, and passed it over to Adam. Within 28 minutes, 
Adam was about to receive $4.4 billion for his company. How could he have possibly refused? Welcome to the failure of WeWork's IPO, filed with the SEC in August 2019 and aborted only two months later in October of the same year. When WeWork first emerged on the scene in 2010, it was the avant-garde of capitalism at its finest and one of the most notable unicorns in the industry. Yes, unicorn is an actual term. In the business world, a unicorn is a privately held startup company valued at over a billion dollars. They are among the elite group of the most recognizable companies that have leaders of demigod status, like Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk. Although the concept of co-working spaces wasn't anything new, WeWork utilized bold style designs based around communities and socializing. It was the idealistic approach to work and life being conjoined that enticed a new era of entrepreneurs and freelancers. For those of you that don't know, here's what WeWork does. Their core business is renting out shared office spaces to clients that range from individual freelancers in need of a part-time desk or to small companies that were looking for an alternative to committing to multi-year leases. WeWork's business model was to build a space for like-minded individuals pursuing their life's work and passion. And they had the space to nourish inspiration and productivity. The notion of combining startups with that of transcending spiritual mindfulness? Well, that was just mind-blowing. Back then, Adam Newman, along with his co-founder, Miguel McKelvey, first began renting temporary space to startup companies, freelancers, really anyone who needed a space to work but couldn't afford rent and the infrastructure of building out an entire office. But what was offered was also a sense of belonging, of reprieve from the daily stresses of the hustle. There were happy hours, group yoga, and social events with motivational speakers. Both Adam and Miguel had lived on a commune in an early part of their lives, which was a part of the vision for the WeWork utopia they were trying to build. And from 2010 to 2019, its membership grew from 450 to 527,000 people, attracting the attention of many powerful members, celebrities, and investors. That include Mark Zuckerberg, Ashton Kutcher, Hugh Jackman, all of them that were seen at WeWork's offices. Fast forward several successful years later. After Massa handed over the first check to Adam in 2016, he made a public announcement to the world. WeWork is the next Alibaba, referring to the world's largest online commerce company worth $2 billion today. Masa's funding not only provided Adam with credibility, but now a newfound sense of invincibility, one that was getting a bit out of control according to those close to the founder. Adam, who was already accustomed to the high life, was being chauffeured around in a Maybach and flown across a globe in a $60 million Gulfstream jet. He had a collection of six homes along with an entourage of help, assistants, and personal chefs for him and his family. In his mind, his spending made sense because he was WeWork 
and was not just building a company, but creating a movement. And now he was backed by one of the world's largest VC funds. But as the saying goes, money often costs too much. And with the infusion of capital came the shackles that VC money often carried, striking like a harpoon into dreamy, doe-eyed entrepreneurs. SoftBank's methodology was to grow at a parabolic speed. In other words, they weren't going to wait around patiently for that to happen. They wanted growth now and fast. You need to think bigger. Masa instructed Adam. Adam, impetuous by nature and driven with determination, needed to prove his worth and WeWork's growth potential. It was reported by an executive that at one time, Adam, who returned from a meeting with Masa, was upset because he wasn't moving fast enough. As a result, Adam tore up plans that called for opening 30 new locations and doubled it to 60, with no real strategy in place he needed to grow even faster. When SoftBank really has their arms around you like that, I'm just not sure there's much you can do to say no or push back um, when you see those big checks and and that level of kind of involvement in the day-to-day. That was Megan Morris, senior writer at Business Insider, who's currently working on a documentary on WeWork. Megan reflects on the perils and downfall of WeWork's IPO and the fall of Adam Newman from her extensive conversations. I think a lot of it was enabled by SoftBank, and that SoftBank was really behind the scenes, really pushing him to, to go bigger, to grow faster. And it was a really unusual kind of VC or investor founder relationship. You know, VCs tend to be pretty active in, in a lot of companies and always want their entrepreneurs, you know, to do well. But I think that Masa was really pushing Adam personally, not even via, you know, a lieutenant at SoftBank really pushing him to do something novel and to expand at a clip that was just unheard of um, and kind of unsustainable. And that's um, a lot of what we saw in the S1. So I think that was the the dynamic at play that can sometimes get lost. I'm not sure that it was always Adam personally who, you know, I think he was a great visionary, but I think that behind the scenes, um, the growth at all costs was really coming from their big investor. Although WeWork operated like a real estate business, it branded itself as a tech company, so its value would increase on Wall Street. And with the plans to grow WeWork across the globe, it needed money. So it was time to go public. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It seemed like a fairly logical process at the moment. 
but this was about to become one of the greatest IPO failures of all time. On August 14th, 2019, WeWork, now called the We Company, announced that it was going public. The We Company released its IPO prospectus, which is the formal document that's required by the SEC to go public onto the stock market, serving as a tool to help potential investors make a more informed decision. Little did anyone suspect that this would be a ticking time bomb for WeWork. So for WeWork, you know, we saw the extension of a pattern uh, of really overpriced IPOs that began you know, as far back as Snap. Here is David Trainer, founder of New Constructs and writer for Forbes, who has written multiple articles on WeWork during the IPO process. Here he's referring to Snapchat's IPO, which went public in March 2017, then valued at $31 billion. Today, it's less than $8 billion. You know, Wall Street is, does a really good job of selling people on hype. You know, this is the next Amazon or the next Facebook, the next platform company. Uh, we saw a business model that we didn't think was differentiated enough to ever really maybe generate profits uh, for any meaningful amount of time or significant profits. It's certainly nowhere the level of profits implied by the stock price. And third, we saw a CEO who was pretty unabashedly self-dealing, and that's never a good sign. And, and so we just... We threw up some red flags saying, hey, this IPO is nothing more than an attempt for the private equity owners to get this bad asset off their books. What these bad assets David is referring to is written all over the company's prospectus. All those things, massive losses, high risk business model, poor corporate, corporate governance and an absurd valuation. And it's a combination of these things, like not any one sing, any single one of them, not that either those on their own aren't enough, the combination of, of really those four highly negative factors is what made it really easy, to, honestly, to stand our ground. The jaw-dropping prospectus was riddled with dubious details about WeWork's operations, their financials, and corporate governance. For one, the filing showed that in 2018, WeWork made $1.8 billion, but also lost $1.6 billion. And the losses continued to carry forward because it reported losses of over $900 million for the first half of 2019. It also had $47 billion in lease obligations and a slew of weird vanity investment projects like a wave pool company and another startup owned by surfer Laird Hamilton called Laird Superfood that sold coffees, kombucha, and powdered drinks, stuff that didn't align with WeWork's business model and added to its losses. That was just the tip of the iceberg. There were other major issues that had investors scratching their heads. Issues like the clause in there that granted Adam's wife, Rebecca Newman, the power to name a successor if something were to ever happen to him. Rebecca, who at one time was behind the scenes, had since emerged with a very controversial co-founder title. And she was also CEO of WeGrow, one of their coveted brand extensions that focus on early education. She was credited for really pushing WeWork's business to grow and equally fueling Adam's ego, much like Masa had. She played kind of an outsized behind-the-scenes role compared with maybe what's what's really known. Um, it's a little bit hard to kind of characterize just because it's so amorphous, but 
she was also really pushing Adam to grow bigger. So I kind of see her and, and SoftBank playing um, those roles, really pushing him to expand, to be bold, um, to grow fast, all of those things. And she was not particularly well-liked at WeWork. She was really kooky. She kind of operated autonomously. She had this elementary school that people just did not understand. Um, and it seemed to be really more for her benefit and her kids' benefit versus like it was a core part of WeWork's business. So she was definitely uh, an oddball in more ways than one. Uh, we, we cataloged some of the, the oddities of her behavior. Like she only liked white technology, like everything, her phone and, you know, laptop and things like that had to be all white. One source told me that he had to paint her desktop phone white because they couldn't find a white desktop phone for her. So he literally had to take the thing apart and then like watch paint dry so she could have a white phone. So definitely uh, an otter personality. Um, but she's, she kind of came in and really was pushing for WeGrow. That was really her baby. So, you know, to the extent that she had an effect on, on WeWork's business, WeGrow would definitely be the place where she did the most. And then she was sort of like the Adam Whisperer, too, behind the scenes. And then there was WeWork's office culture. I also think that kind of WeWork maybe uh, was so larger than life that people, some people were joining because they thought it was kind of a nonstop party. Um, and so that probably didn't help the, the corporate culture. You know, when you had people who were perhaps joining for the wrong reasons. I think in the early days, it was pretty freewheeling that the culture of, you know, drinks in the office and summer camp and things like that was um, really enticing to the people who joined early on. I think that in the last few years, especially, especially as the company brought uh, more mature leadership in, what you would kind of call the adults in the room, it changed a lot. So they had like real HR in place for most of the company, not not all, but they had, you know, things like boring things that companies are supposed to have, like salary bans and like appropriate offsites and things like that, trying to get away from WeWork's craziness. But there were definitely a few teams and we're writing about one of those in a story that's coming up that, um, that had some more problems because there was more of a lack of accountability there. Megan was referring to WeWork's annual summer camp, which was like a corporate retreat meets Coachella, packed with speakers like Deepak Chopra and indie bands like Lord and Bastille. I had sources tell me things like I would see drugs at summer camp, or not only I would see drugs, but I would personally bring drugs to summer camp and then hand them out to my subordinates. You know, that's just not something that you hear at a normal company, even if it's kind of a party culture. Like, that's a different level. Aside from that, there were consequences in lawsuits that are still pending on the company. There's an open lawsuit still from 2018 from an employee um, who said that she was sexually assaulted at two different WeWork events. And her complaint is going through the, the kind of judicial system right now. And it's, um, it's available. So, you know, unlike uh, the claims have to go to private arbitration, you can read you know, everything in her complaint. And that was from a woman named Ruby Anaya. She's not speaking to the media, um, but her lawyer is, is somewhat open to at least engaging. I don't think he's giving a lot of on-record statements, but I've spoken with him before. And then as well, there is um, a pretty egregious complaint with the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission, the EEOC, that was filed by Adam Newman's chief of staff, who was a woman who worked with him since the very beginning. She actually was kind of the acting CEO of his last company. So she had known him from even before WeWork. Um, and she talked at length about WeWork parties and uh, and gender discrimination um, issues around maternity leave for her personally and for another executive. So that was a pretty wide-ranging complaint um, as well that, that WeWork still has to deal with. And then there was a litany of other conflicts of interest and risks that were bludgeoning the doomed IPO. 
like Adam hiring family members with no previous management experience to run large divisions at his company, and then unethical dealings like borrowing company money and collecting rent from WeWork space in buildings that he owned. He even charged the company $5.9 million for the rights to the trademark that he held in the name of We. Despite the attempts to mitigate these risks, there was no way to revive the IPO, which already reeked with the stench of death. As long as they think they can sell the asset off at the end of the day to unsuspecting public investors, sky's the limit. And they're bidding against each other. It's like, hey, buddy, you buy it from me in this round for a billion, I'll get it back from you at four billion, and whatever goes through doesn't matter because we'll, we'll IPO it and this thing will be off our books and you know we'll be off to the races. And, and, I, and that's been going on for as long as sort of the IPO markets have been going. I mean, two-thirds of all IPOs in the history of the world have, have underperformed. And so uh, it's just getting egregious, egregious to the likes of which we haven't seen since the tech bubble. You know, look, I mean, I just it's hard for me to get to any sort of better fact than, you know, to prove that the private equity holders know what's going on and they can trick public investors into buying it from them. No better fact than... The fact that the IPO was going to be going out around 47 billion bucks for WeWork. And when they when the IPO got shut down, SoftBank, within a couple of weeks, wrote the asset down to 4.7 billion on their books. What changed in those two weeks? Right? Nothing, except that they realized they couldn't pull in the, the wool over the Wall Street side. It took just a little over a month for WeWork to go from one of the most highly anticipated IPOs of 2019 to becoming the most ridiculed. With the intense scrutiny of baffled investors, Massa and his team at SoftBank quickly stepped in and took over WeWork and ousted Adam Newman. SoftBank has since laid off 2,400 employees and appointed a new CEO to run the company, one with a real estate background who has announced that he was going to focus on the company's core business. But the downfall of WeWork's IPO represented so much more than just a failed public offering. It exposed the dark side of our financial ecosystem and the imbalance of power that VC backers hold, oftentimes forcing companies to grow beyond their capacity. And as appealing as it is for investors to buy into the hype, it's prudent to resist shiny objects and get back to the basics of research and facts. Hype should not trump logic and neither should charisma. Going back to the first day that Masa was beguiled by Adam's moving speech in India. With final words, Adam reiterated the importance of finding passion and making the world a better place, saying... I swear to you, success will follow, the money will follow, and you will change the world. Idealistic dreams and lofty ambitions of overhyped companies can oftentimes be just as elusive as the mystical unicorn. But in the words of David Trainer, don't believe in unicorns, especially the ones sold by Wall Street. Thanks for listening to The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies and failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons and wisdom so that we can all learn from the greatest mistakes. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit thegreatfail.com to access show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content.
If you have a question about your business or have an idea or startup and need expert advice, please send your questions to advice at thegreatfail.com and you may be featured on an upcoming episode with our network of expert advisors to help you get the answers you're looking for. And remember, with great failure comes great liability. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.